as entrepreneurs, we have a really cool opportunity where we get to create opportunities for people and create positions and create really anything that we want in business, right? Roles and positions and and people, things that we get people to do and, and how roles are typically defined don't have to fit in any sort of box, right? We have the creative ability as entrepreneurs to be able to structure employment opportunities in any way that we want. Welcome to the Painter Growth Podcast, where we help you scale your painting company in record time. Join us as we explore sales, marketing, hiring, finances, leadership, and more, everything that you need to know to scale and grow your painting business. I hope you enjoy and subscribe. Everybody, Mike Orhakeman here, founder of PainterGrowth.com, and you're listening to another episode of the Painter Growth Podcast. Now, today we're doing something a little bit different. I'm doing something a little bit different. So I've been wanting to do episodes like this for a little while, but have not got around to it because we've just had so many wonderful guests coming through and, and ready to be on. But um, we have an opportunity now this week where I can uh, finally get around to doing one of these solo episodes where you don't get a guest, you just get me. Now, I'm not super experienced at doing the whole radio DJ thing where there's just no silence and no blank spots. So we'll see how this goes. We're going to try to leave it relatively unstructured, but I really hope that you guys can get a ton of value out of today's solo rant or presentation. I don't think it's a really going to be a presentation, just like a discussion with myself and with you listening, and hopefully that you can get some really good value, some really good ideas. And today's topic um, is going to be all about recruiting, right? When people think about painter growth, a lot of the time they just think about marketing and sales and uh, things like that. But but really recruiting, um, once you figure out your marketing and sales pipeline, um, recruiting becomes pretty much the most important thing uh, for you to do as a business owner. You need to be able to identify great people. Well, first, you need to actually be able to find great people and have great people want to apply for a position that you put together, then you need to be able to identify them really quickly and then sell them on the opportunity that you're creating for them. As entrepreneurs, we have a really cool opportunity where we get to create opportunities for people and create positions and create really anything that we want in business, right? Roles and positions and and people and um, things that we get people to do and, and how roles are typically defined don't have to fit in any sort of box, right? We have the creative ability as entrepreneurs to be able to structure employment opportunities in any way that we want. And that's what makes it really exciting. That's what one of the reasons I love entrepreneurship. So basically like when you think about your company, right? You're an organization, right? If any company is an organization, it's just kind of like another term for company, right? You've heard that before. Um, and if you really think about the root of the word organization, um, it means to be organized. And in you know history and and the reason why it's the main term of the word that we use is that you know we want to have an organized group of people all working together, paddling in the same direction to accomplish a shared goal. And that is really you know the the ethos of an organization of a company. And so what often happens is is companies, painting companies, or any type of company really, um, they'll get a bunch of people to work on various projects, but they won't be working together. They won't be aligned. They won't be in sync. They won't be working towards the same shared goal. Everyone will have their own goals. There'll be silos. Everyone will be kind of working independently on the same thing. And when that happens, there's you know that leads to miscommunication. That leads to frustration. That leads to lost performance. 
um, that leads to disappointed customers and team and people missing earnings expectations and so many things, right? So having a cohesive organization is really important. Um, and that can be, you know, that can come from a lot of different ways. I can come from your, uh, the communication that you have uh, interdepartmentally uh, with between your painters, your production staff, your marketing staff, your sales staff, your admin staff, if you have, you know, those various levels of, of people. Uh, it can come from onboarding, right? Are you setting the right expectations during onboarding, during hiring, during recruiting, during the, the job description? Are you actually uh, following through on the promises that you're making? Um, are you incentivizing your team to accomplish their goals? And their goals should really align with your goals, right? That's the whole purpose of like bringing on people is to expand your, uh, your ability to get things done, right? So as a business owner, you start doing everything. You're doing marketing, you're doing sales, you're doing production, you're doing administrative, you're doing finances, you're doing everything, right? So what typically happens is um, as you kind of grow your company and you become too busy and you just have no more hours in the day to get the things done that you need to get done, the next step is you figure out what you're spending the most time at, uh, what you're spending the most time on and, and essentially getting someone to help you do the things that are taking you the most time, right? That's like hire, making your first few hires in as simple, in as simple, uh, you know, description as possible. So what does that, you know, what does that look like for a painting company, painting contractor? So you're, you know, you're solo contractor, maybe you're a sub, uh, you start getting some side projects and all of a sudden you have too many side projects. So you need to go full time on your own side projects. And then you, you know, you go through the whole licensing process and you get your LLC and you get your insurance and you get all of this stuff. And all of a sudden you are on your own um, as a full blown painting contractor, but you have too many projects, right? You're just spending all day painting and you have no time to do estimates. You have no time to do marketing. You have no time to um, you know, do your job costing or anything like that because you're too busy painting, right? It happens to everyone. So the first natural step is that you want to bring on your first painter. Um, bringing on your first painter, you know, for anyone who's in this stage right now, and, and I know there's a lot of guys who are maybe more advanced, um, who this might be just some review for, but uh, for anyone who's in that stage right now where they're a solo painter and they're just too busy, they're trying to get to that next step, um, it's okay. Like it, it is going to be hard <laughs> and you have to know that it's going to be hard making this transition ahead of time, but it ha it's a it's an absolutely necessary mandatory transition that every business owner, you know, regardless of what type of business you're in has to make at some point. And that's basically hiring your, for your first producer and, and making this transition from no producers or being the owner is the only producer to having your first producer is, is one of two of the first major transitions in any painting business. All right. We'll get to the second one in a little bit. And that is, you know, hiring your first manager. Um, but going from zero painters or one painter, to uh, now having a second painter, huge transition because uh, I mean, on the on the upside, you're getting twice as much production done, or maybe you know 180% as much production done. Um, you have the ability to make money when you're not on site. Um, you have the ability to book more work and do marketing and do sales and have someone else helping you, you know, produce that work. So you're making way more money. You're accelerating everything. It feels really, really good. But on the downside, you know, there are cons. There are, there is increased complexity. You're now dealing with another human who has needs and desires and their own wants. You need to, you know, you need to manage that effectively and it will take more time to manage it. And there's also the fear of, will, is this person good? Are they going to represent my company? Are they going to represent me as well as I'd like to? Are they going to do good quality work? 
And so there's all these, you know, these fears and uncertainties that can come in when you're making that transition. But, you know, at one point you need to just give it a try. You just need to try it and take the leap and bring that person on and then have the mindset that your role now shifts from being the, the main painter to now you're the main trainer. So every minute you're on site with this new painter, you need to be working on developing their skills, whether it's communication skills with the homeowner, how to set up the job, how to you know do specific technical tasks um, to make sure that they're comfortable, you know, you're comfortable with their, their skills and um, they can get stuff done at the quality that or, or near the quality that you expect, right? And then once they are proficient, now we can start ex now we can start taking a little bit of time off site while they're still on site maybe at, at the start you know you you give them a task and then you run to the paint store to pick up some more paint you know maybe you run out to go do an estimate and then maybe another time you run out for maybe three four hours and then the next time you set them up in the morning and then come back at noon and just check on their progress set some more goals for the afternoon and then come back and then before you know it you keep going down that progressive path and uh, soon they'll be operating on a full day, full week, potentially all by themselves without you. You just have to keep giving them goals, setting making sure that they're staying productive and, uh, and, and keeping them, keeping them fed with jobs. I would also like to mention while we're talking about it, that, that in a, you know, in any employment scenario, whether it's subs or in-house painters, I would uh, recommend trying to implement some sort of piece rate system right? It can be piece rate, it can be a bonus, it can be profit sharing, but some sort of system to incentivize productivity, right? I'm a big believer in uh, you, you incentivize for the behaviors that you want. And if you're just paying your painters in a strict like hour by hour rate, right? You're paying them 25 bucks an hour, 28 bucks an hour. They are not incentivized to get the job done faster. They're actually counter incentivized. They're incentivized to make the job take as long as they want because their earnings are on a straight line commission or straight line of earnings. The more hours they work, the more money they get paid, right? So that is not in alignment with your organization's goals. Your organization's goals are to get the job done as quickly as possible in a few hours as possible with as high of quality as possible using the least paint possible right? Because you want to maximize your gross margin. So how can you incentivize your painters to maximize gross margin on your behalf without just saying it, right? And that's where compensation structures come into play. Now for in-house employees, I like to use a piece rate system that isn't based on dollar amount, but based on hourly amount. So you need to understand your, your charge rate. Um, so for anyone that doesn't know, charge rate is essentially like, you know, if you have a $5,000 job and it's going to take 50 hours, that's $100 per hour charge rate. Okay. Um, cause a hundred times, sorry, 100 times 50 is 5,000. Yeah. So there you go. $5,000 job, hundred dollars an hour, 50 hours. Um, and then if you're, if you want to keep gross margin at 50%, that means you need to keep your materials and labor at uh, half of that. So 50 bucks per hour, just an example, hundred dollars is actually a little bit high for what I'd recommend for a uh, charge rate. It should be probably fall somewhere between like 70 and 90, uh, depending on your area and, and your uh, labor rate in your area, but um, I digress. So what I was um, getting at is that for piece rate, you want to be presenting the painter or painters with how many hours the budgeted job is for. So if it's a hundred hour job, you 
basically set up your painters and be like, all right, guys and girls, this is a 100 hour job. So you have 100 hours to get done. Here's how all the hours are broken down. Um, you know, you have 10 hours for the kitchen, you have five hours for the bathroom, you have three hours for each of these bedrooms or, you know, however it's broken down. Um, quick shout out to uh, Drip Jobs and their production rate system. If you use that, it actually breaks all of that down for you and it makes moving to a piece rate system really, really easy. Um, so, hey, here's 100 hours and then you get their buy-in. Is this, do you guys think you can do this in 100 hours? Great. If you can, then, uh, sorry, then if you get if you get it done in 100 hours, we're going to pay you your rate per hour, say 25 bucks an hour for 100 hours. But if you get it done in 80 hours, we're still going to pay you for that 100 hours. Right. So it, it what that does is that incentivizes them to get done quicker. Now I can hear what some of you are thinking. What if they, uh, you know, what they're going to do is they're going to rush and they're going to lag on the quality. And this is where we just have a second bump on a quality rating. So if you can now find a different way to incentivize actually getting either a five star review or filling out some sort of internal quality rating system, now the now the painters are actually incentivized on quality. So um, you should be actually also having your painters do their own walkthrough with the homeowner and not you being the one going there. Because like if, if the painters clean up, they pack up, they go home, and then you come that evening to do the walkthrough with the homeowner who is going to pick out the deficiencies. Now it's on you basically to fix those deficiencies. And we don't want that. We want your painters to be fixing the deficiencies because if they're on a piece rate system, they have the potential upside of earning more money on the job. They are responsible for closing it up. So you need to incentivize your painters to actually do the walk. You don't have to incentivize them, but they have, you have to make the expectation that they do the walkthrough with the client and they basically are responsible for closing up the job and ideally collecting the check. Um, you can also throw another extra bonus for your painters, say, you know, 50 bucks or something like that, if they're able to get a five-star review from the homeowner. Because um, getting a five-star review is a, you know, pretty big deal on Google, if you're, you know, if you can do this from every job, this can be, you know, a couple five-star reviews a week, this can be, you know, 10 a month, like depending on how many jobs you're doing. So we want to, we want to get a review from every job and you want to incentivize your painters to actually ask for it and get it uh, at the end of the job. Okay. So piece rate for an in-house employee, you're want you're going to want to present it in terms of hourly. Now, if it's a sub, of course, um, anyone here who uses subs knows you do, you know, fixed rate around 50% of the contract, 50, 60% of the contract, and they get to see the dollar amount. Whereas the painters, they might also get to see the dollar amount, but you're not explicitly saying that the labor portion of this $10,000 job is 3,500. And that means that you're going to get this many hours, right? You don't need to be so explicit. Like if they wanted to look at the contract and calculate it, they, they could get, they could do the math. Um, which is fine, but we just want to present it in terms of hours. This is how many hours the job is budgeted for. This is how much I pay you per hour. If you get it done in this many hours, you're going to get paid more. If you get it done in less, you're going to get paid less, right? Having a type of piece rate system like this is predicated on trust and ensuring that your painters trust your bidding system. So if you want to roll this out with your painters, you want to make sure the first three, four, five jobs that they do um, are very generous when it comes to the budget. You really want them to win big on their first few jobs so they can be like, all right, Mike knows what he's doing. He knows that he can, I know that he can bid. I trust his budgets. And um, once you can get through that many jobs, if they can consistently beat those budgets, they're going to get bought in to your piece rate system and want it because they're going to see how much money they can actually make.
if you don't want to do piece rate, I would recommend doing a um, some sort of profit sharing based on gross margin, right? So if you say your target gross margin is 50% and the painter and we come in, you know, at 45%, sorry, at, at 55% for gross margin, meaning costs were only 45%, then that extra 5% should be distributed to the painters as a bonus, right? So you can be creative like that. I know there's things like in California, there's some laws around piece rate. You still can do it like this. It still works. Um, you just need to be a little bit creative with um, how you want to do it. So if you have any specific questions about that, um, let me know. And I can, I'm happy to jump into it. Okay, so now backing up again, we were talking about bringing on your first painter, ideally paying them piece rate. We went down a little bit of a rabbit hole there with piece rate. Now we're coming out of that rabbit hole back to your first painter. Um, you know, the next step after you have this painter, you're able to take steps away. You want to bring on a second painter, you know, potentially even both of those painters at the same time, your job flips back into main trainer. You want to train that second person and ultimately, you know, repeat, rinse and repeat that same system until you have a fully sustainable crew that is independent that can operate without you. Um, one crew of two painters should be able to produce anywhere from twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars per month in revenue if they're completely busy. And on that twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars, you should be making twelve to fifteen thousand dollars of gross margin. Now you'll have your costs. You'll have operating costs. Say your the the cost of your business is five thousand dollars per month for your overhead. So if you have two painters working full time and they produce twenty-five thousand dollars a month, that's twelve point five thousand in gross margin at 50%, subtract $5,000 for your overhead, you know, say you rent, a, you know, if you rent a, a unit, your car payment, your insurance, your whatever else, your, you know, your phone, say that's five grand, it should probably be less than that, but say it is five grand. That means on a crew of two, um, and only a crew of two, your net profit should be $7,500 per month, if not more, if not $10,000 per month, right? After marketing, after everything else, that should be your take home. So to be able to run a profitable painting business where you're off the brush is only two painters away. And that's a really cool mindset shift or realization for a lot of small painters right now is that, you know, you need to grow your paint, your business huge in order to have that financial independence. All you need is a crew of two. You schedule this crew of two full time and uh, you keep them busy and that will give you a full time income. Now you do that exercise one more time. You you um, double that up to a crew of four. You're now producing fifty to sixty thousand dollars per month. Let's go in the low end, fifty thousand. Right, your gross margin is twenty five thousand on that. And say you have an extra two thousand in marketing ad spend, so you're seven thousand a month. So you take that twenty five, you subtract seven, you're at eighteen thousand dollars in in gross in sorry a net profit every single month with four painters. This pretty wild that you can do that with such a small organization. But what I see over and over again is that uh, painters don't really realize how productive, a, 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 sorry, contractors don't really realize how productive a painter can be producing between 12 and a half and $15,000 per month, right? I'll talk to someone there. I'm like, hey, how much are you producing? Oh, we're producing 25K a month. I'm like, okay, cool. How many painters do you have? We got seven. Oh, you have seven painters and you're producing 25,000 a month. What are they doing all day, right? And so this is this comes down to productivity, um, and then you know if you know your numbers, you can look at them and really identify where the gap may be. So if you have seven painters and all you can produce is twenty five thousand dollars per month, well, what's your net? What's your gross margin? Are you making fifty percent on each job after labor and materials? If you're not, if you're making thirty percent, 
well, there's your problem. You're not charging enough or your painters are painting too slow. So, <laughs> um, you know, figure out which one it is. Can your painters produce quicker or can you charge more? What's your close rate? Are you closing 80% of your jobs? Or are you closing 20% of your jobs uh, on, on estimates? Right. So what is the factor that you need to improve to make your business more profitable so you can have fewer painters and accomplish more revenue? Right. So keep that in mind, 12 and 12 and a half to 15,000 per month per painter um, at full capacity. And if you have more painters than that and you're producing less than that, then you need to problem solve and you need to figure out really what's going on. Um, if you're not sure, you can just I'll put my email address in the uh, information here below the chat. Send me an email not the chat, sorry, the description, because this is a podcast. Send me a description of your situation with all of the relevant numbers, your gross profit, your net, net profit, your cost of labor, your cost, cost of materials as a percentage, any sort of job costing and overhead information. And then I'll see what I can do to, to help diagnose um, the issues. Cool. Um, and then if you kind of extrapolate that same model a little bit more to get to a million dollar business, you know, that's 83,000 per month. You divide that by 12.5. Um, and that's only six and a half painters, right? Six and a half to seven painters uh, is a million dollar a year business. So pretty small in terms of headcount in order to accomplish, um, you know, a million dollars a year in, in, in production, right? Some, some businesses, you know, swell up in the summer um, and, and slow down in the winter. And that's totally fine to do that. But if you, uh, you know, if you swell up with subs and a couple employees, like during the summer, that's totally fine. But you want to try to stay as steady as possible because the more steady you can stay, especially as we go into the winter months, the uh, the better people you're going to be able to retain. So now if we actually dig into the uh, recruiting process, um, basically recruiting can be broken down to a few different areas. And I have like an old presentation that I did, uh, and I'm going to be kind of following this process. Um, if you want the slides, uh, just again, shoot me an email um, and we can sort that out. But basically, and I'm not sharing the slides on screen here or anything like that. I'm just going to be kind of talking through it. So, you know, it can be broken down into like, you know, the recruit, the, the uh, first of all, defining, you know, what you actually want, then recruiting, then hiring, then onboarding. Really, if we started at um, defining your role and creating that opportunity, right? And so what that really means is that every every job Every business is a little bit different in terms of what the various roles do. So if you're hiring a painter, um, where painting stops and production management begins, be, painting stops and production management begins can be a blurry line. So what are the expectations that you need your painter to do in your current uh, capacity as a business owner? If you are a brand, like if you're a small company, you're hiring your first painter and you look at what you're doing all day and you're just like, you know, you're running around at the back and forth of the paint store and you're doing that and you're going to Home Depot and whatever, um, you might need to incentivize your painters and create that job description to be a little bit broader around more production-related uh, duties, not just painting, uh, production management-related duties and not painting, right? If you are a larger company and you have like, you know, five or 10 painters already, uh, maybe you just need a painter. You just need someone to show up on site. You don't need anyone to drive around or use your truck or get materials or, you know, reimburse their gas or anything like that. Right. So how we really figure out what that role needs to be is, is we need to make each position um, as effective as possible for you. And how we do that is by, by looking at what you're doing and seeing how much we can get off of your plate with each subsequent hire. Now, 
to do that, you need to do some priority management exercises. And what a really simple one is, is is called it like a, a time audit, a weekly time audit, where every single day you just like write down in your notebook in 15 minute increments what you did that day. So you need to check in a few times a day. And I, I seriously challenge you to do this. This is something that most people will not do, but we call it a daily time audit or a weekly time audit. Essentially every single day, you need to break down uh, what you ended up doing every 15 minutes. And you'll need to check in a couple times per day and, and fill in kind of what you did those previous few hours. So if you set like a two hour timer on your uh, phone, then you should be able to uh, every two hours, like remember what you did in those 15 minute increments. So you can kind of refer back and, 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 and uh, figure that out. So what you're going to do is as you go through your days from, you know, from whatever, 6 a.m. till 6 p.m., you're going to see what you did every 15 minutes, not what you, not what you had scheduled to do, but what you actually did. It's like, okay, from 2 to 2.15, I sat in my truck and I looked at Instagram, right? From 2.15 to 2.30, I drove to the paint store. From 2.30 to 3, I sat at the paint store because they got my order wrong. From 3 to 3.15, I drove to, you know, Ms. Jones's house and I had to go drop off a gallon of paint. So like we want to be really specific with what we're doing. And then at the end of the week or even at the end of like three days, you're going to be able to look and see trends. And you can look at each task that you do as either like low importance, medium importance, high importance in terms of you being the one to do it. So is it a unique thing that you as a business owner need to do? If not, circle it and add it potentially to the job description that you're about to create. So if it's running around picking up paint, add to the job description. If it's talking to the homeowner, put it added to the job description, right? We want to add as much as we can to the job description to get the most off of our plate possible. Um, once we understand the tasks that we want to put in our job description, the next is actually writing the job description. So we have a few different um, templates of like how to create the job description, but essentially what you're thinking, what you're doing is you are um, creating an opportunity, right? So you can be creative with the offers and the benefits, but really this, this um, job posting, the ad that you're writing for this painter is not just an ad for a painter. It is your marketing material that is going to either attract or not attract top talent. So we need to differentiate our offer as much as possible and make it seem like we're a company that people want to work for, that we're desirable, that we care about our people, that we offer really great things, that we're going to be fun, that they're going to want to invest their time, their energy with us um, as their place to, like, they, to invest in, to be a career. So that's why I don't just say writing a job description. That's why I call it creating your opportunity, right? The labor market is tight. You know, it's tighter than it was a couple years ago. And, um, you know, before we were, you know, batting off applicants left, right, and center, but now, you know, applicants are a little bit further and fewer, far between. So we need to be a little bit better at recruiting. And so the way I recommend looking at it is the recruiting is really a sales process. So you, your job posting is your ad, your, uh, interview is your sales appointment and your offer is your close. Right. And can you bring that person through your sales process um, effectively? And can you make them actually want to work for you? So um, when it comes to, you know, back to creating your ad, what are the things that you can offer? Can you offer, you know, a solid you know, hourly rate? Can you offer extended benefits? Can you offer a company vehicle? Can you offer reimbursed mileage? Can you offer great company culture? Can you offer uh, 
corporate not corporate events, but, uh, you know, company wide events and barbecues and team building stuff. Um, can you offer flexible hours or holiday pay? Really like look at your business, look at your numbers and see what you can afford and figure out how to differentiate it. And even for the things that aren't necessarily like, you know, expensive, say one time you did like a company barbecue or something, um, put that in there, right? We do regular company events and maybe by putting it in the job description, it's going to allow you or, or force you to be more strict with yourself of actually doing these things and reinvesting in your people. Because if you want to attract good people, you have to be a good place to work. And a good place to work is not somewhere that someone just shows up, gets 25 bucks an hour, stays for eight hours and then leaves, right? That's the type of person that you go to the job site halfway through the day and they're sitting in their car smoking cigarettes because they're not motivated, right? <laughs> you want the type, like, how can you, this is actually really a key thought process right here is how can you create your company and create an offer that a younger you would jump all over, right? Approach it through that lens. So write your ad in a way that would excite you as a younger uh, painter, as a younger person before you started your business, because that's the type of person that you want. Someone that's a self-starter, someone that's motivated. And uh, the only way to do that is to really create a solid offer, because that's the first step. Without a solid offer, you don't even get a chance. So once you create that offer, now what you need to do is get traffic behind that offer. You need to get people, you need to get eyes on this thing, right? <laughs> traffic is the number of people who see your ad. And there's a lot of different ways that you can get eyes, get qualified eyes on your ad. You can go to every paint store in your uh, city or town, right? And they usually have a job board. You can also, you know, at these paint stores, talk to the paint store managers or your paint rep, build that relationship, let people know that you're hiring hand out cards, create business card size things with just a recruiting ad and a QR code to your job posting, right? Like be creative. How can you get as many eyes on it as possible, right? Outside of the paint store, there's free online job boards. There's things like Craigslist, uh, Facebook, Marketplace, and even Kijiji in Canada, right? It's kind of like the American or the Canadian Craigslist, right? Then there's paid online job boards like Indeed, Monster, and LinkedIn. Um, then you can look at referrals, right? Your current painters, do your current painters, do the people in your network know anyone who's looking for a job, right? Maybe they're looking to switch. Um, another one is painting companies ads. <laughs> this is kind of a sneaky one, right? Um, and actually this works really good finding subs is if you look at places like that are really cheap to advertise on like Craigslist or Kijiji, if you're in Canada or, you know, the, the yellow pages online or something like that, anywhere that's really cheap where like, usually like a bad marketer, like someone who doesn't know how to market would be marketing on, you know, maybe, you know, Yelp, if they got a paid Yelp thing because they got, you know, hosed into, or sold into, into that, even though it doesn't work, you can, uh, you can call the people who are advertising and because they're looking for work and they don't know how to advertise uh, and say, Hey, like, are you looking to sub out? Are you looking to be a sub? Right. I got a lot of work looking to sub some, sub some work. Are you open to it? Right. And then if you do bring on subs, you want to uh, treat them, treat the whole hiring and recruiting process in the exact same way that you would, or very similar way to a uh, in-house painter, right? You want to actually interview them. You want to talk to references. You want to do a working interview, all that stuff, okay? Um, and also, you can also generate traffic through Facebook ads. So if you know how to set up Facebook ads, um, uh, you can recruit and get some pretty cool uh, talent through Facebook ads. Um, if you want to learn how to do that, that's one of the trainings that we have in uh, one of our coaching programs is uh, how to recruit painters or marketers through Facebook ads. So uh, it's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool way to do it. Um, so 
And then it comes to like, you know, when you're actually printing out like print versus online uh, job descriptions, those are very different. And so if you're printing something out, you should definitely create a QR code. Um, there's a lot of free QR code generators. Like if you go to qr-code-generator.com, um, you can create a QR code uh, with to link to any website. And so QR codes are really good to get people to specific websites. You want to have like a landing page with your hiring information uh, or go to like your, your uh, LinkedIn post or your Indeed post or wherever, like just go to a plate, like have the QR code automatically redirect to wherever your recruiting post is. Right. But uh, a landing page on your website is a good place to do it. And then put that and then print that out and put that everywhere, whether it's a business card or it's a full, full blown flyer, um, distribute that everywhere. Right. Then after creating, uh, generating your traffic right now, we were looking for like, you know, selecting the applicants to interview. So hopefully, you know, you put these ads out, you start getting a lot of applicants coming in and now it comes to selecting which applicants to interview. So in my hiring funnel, what I recommend is actually having a, a Google form or some sort of like application form that people fill out. Um, and I'll just going to open up my hiring form just to give you uh, kind of an idea of some of the questions that we ask. And it doesn't have to be uh, really uh, detailed, but all right, I found it. Um, so pretty easy. Um, Pretty easy form, basically email address. What is your full name? What's your cell phone number? How many years have you painted for? Uh, and then have like a, a drop down on like, you know, is it zero? Never painted professionally, less than one year, around one year, one to three, three to five, five to 10 or 10 plus. Uh, do you have your own tools? Yes or no. Um, do you have your own transportation? Now on this one, it's I kind of have fun with this one because uh, I bait them into the, you know, we always want all our painters to have their own vehicles, right? That makes it so much easier. But we kind of bait them into saying the, um, saying uh what's exact what's actually true and not, not lying here so the four options i have for do you have your own transportation are like yes i have my own vehicle yes i can easily bus or catch rides where i need to go uh, and then no i would need a ride but i have a valid license or no i have a i need a ride and i do not have a license so if someone says yes i can easily catch the bus like obviously you know you want them to have their own vehicle but it is a yes answer that gets people maybe a little bit more comfortable with with saying yes uh, next question, when can you start? And then uh, I have uh, typically two open-ended, uh, you know, basically choose your own destiny uh, in inputs for uh, questions. One of them is, why do you feel like you'd be a good addition to our team? And then the other one is some sort of technical question, right? You want to ask some sort of technical question just to really assess if they are an experienced painter or not. Um, and you can make up any sort of scenario. I've, uh, I've done things like, um, please explain your full process from start to finish for how you paint a uh, bedroom or how do you, uh, how do you properly prime a sprayer? Something like that. Or, um, if, if you're painting drywall, like which one of these tips should you use? I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but like th this tip or this tip, right? So give them the, or like even, or, or even a simple one. It's like, what type of nap roller should you be using for drywall, <laughs> right? What nap size? So, you know, give them a few technical questions just so you can kind of assess that. And then uh, I always like to also have them include like a, a social media profile link. Make sure they're not, you know, holding guns or anything or doing drugs on social media. <laughs> it's funny uh, what you'll find. Um, and then, and then they're going to submit the form. And the cool thing about this form um, being the call to action instead of the instead of them just calling you or texting you 
is it's really going to save you time and help filter out the junk, right? I'm a big fan in saving my time. I know your time is valuable. My time is valuable. So every, anytime that I get a chance to save time on something, I will. And, and building a form like this um, is, uh, is super valuable. So 100% recommend building some sort of form and then only calling the people who you feel like you want to call, right? You might get 50 applicants. You might only get five people you want to call. That's going to save 45 phone calls of yours, right? So um, you want to look through that, um, figure out who you want to call. And then the next thing that you want to do is, um, is do a setup call, right? So in a, the, we, do, we call it like a qualification call. But basically, a, a qualification call is really important to prevent you from wasting your time by getting, you know, either a, a bad quality candidate at an interview or by getting no-showed altogether, right? We really don't want to get no-showed. So, you know, on this qualification call, you're going to get an initial feel of the candidate. You're going to verify some basic details of their application, uh, really determine if it's worth your time to interview them. And really make sure they do show up to the interview, right? Nothing is worse than, than, you know, sitting there at Starbucks and having nobody show up for your interview, right? Sucks, feels bad, waste of time, waste of your time and, uh, and energy and, and all that. So um, when you receive an application, uh, as sooner you receive it, the fresher it is, right? It's just like a lead, right? And these leads are also looking for other opportunities. So if you get a really good lead come in, you want to get on that right away. So typically what I like to do first um, after I've reviewed their forms is identify which ones I want to respond to and text those ones. Hey, this is Mike with Blueprint Painting. I received your application. I'd like to set up a phone call. Are you available this evening at five? Right. So schedule something that day. And then once, uh, you know, five o'clock comes around, be ready. Be ready for the call in a quiet place. Be respectful. And uh, and once that call comes around, you know, five o'clock, you're going to call them at that time. And um, you're going to be listening for both the tangibles and the intangibles. So the tangibles are going to be the answers to your questions, right? Are they answering your questions? Well, you know, are they clearly competent? You know, do they speak clearly? But then also the intangibles, right? Did they pick up right away? Or did you have to call them a few times? Or they text you, hey, be right there, not quite ready, whatever. Were they on time or did they make an excuse up for why they're going to be late? Um, do they sound upbeat or beaten up, right? Are they, um, are they someone that you would feel comfortable putting in front of your clients, right? Just on that first impression, right? First impressions are huge. And do they you know, make you smile right away or do they kind of give you kind of some sketchy vibes? Would your team get along with them? So um, kind of a call outline for this type of qualification call is going to be, you know, a little bit of small talk, small talk. Um, ask them about their day, what they did or what they're planning to do, right? It's like if it's five o'clock PM and like, oh, I just woke up, right? I'll tell you a lot. Um, also, uh, just a quick, a good question to ask at the start of the qualification call is, um, is whether or not, or how, how did you, uh, how did you set your time aside to make sure that you're on time today? Or how did you schedule your time to make sure that you're on time today? Um, just to kind of get a little peek, a little view inside of their internal scheduling systems, right? Then you're going to set the agenda, something like, great. So I'm going to ask you some questions about your work history and your application. Then you can ask me some questions that you have. And if it seems like a good fit, we can schedule an in-person interview. How does that sound? Cool. Um, then a few more questions. So why are you looking for a new job? What type of painting have you done in the past? I'm going to take a minute to verify the application questions. So you know, hey, it says you have five years of experience. How many companies have you worked for in that time? 
Can you tell me a little bit about it? Cool. And then um, a really like sneaky question you can ask next is like, okay, well, we need, we'll, we'll need some references. So if you can provide me with two references, that would be wonderful. And then you want to phrase this question exactly like this. When I ask your lot last boss about you, what will he say? Right? So not if I call one of your references, what do you think they would say? When I ask your last boss about you, what will he say? Great. Do you have any questions for me? And then after their questions, you can decide if you're going to move forward with the interview. If you're not moving forward, you tell them right, right there and you be straight up, right? You don't schedule it and then cancel later. You just say, all right, um, after just talking for a few minutes, I don't think this is going to be a really good fit. Um, thank you for applying. Hope you have a great day, right? And if it does sound like a good fit, great. So far, I like what I'm hearing. Let's schedule an interview. Are you available tomorrow at 10 a.m. to meet that location? So that's really the, uh, how are we doing for time here? We're like 40 minutes or so. So um, hopefully you guys are still listening. I mean, it'll be really cool to like listen, or very interesting for me, I think, to take a look at like the, the <laughs> retention metrics for an episode like this. That's going to tell me if this is something that I do again in the future. Um, but uh, yeah, hey, on this, well, I'm just kind of breaking the fourth wall here. If you do like this, even if you like any of the episodes, but this one isn't necessarily your favorite, if you could just go on like Spotify or YouTube or Apple Podcasts, wherever you're watching this, if you can just like give me a five stars or give me a thumbs up or whatever, like just give this a rating. Um, if it's on Spotify or, or Apple, if you can write a little comment on the podcast, uh, that would really help. Um, we don't run ads or um, or anything to uh, the podcast. The only way that we grow it is through you guys. So if you're able to give us a five-star review on this on whatever platform you're listening to it on, uh, that would mean the world. So thank you very much. Now let's jump into uh, interviewing. Cool. So um, interviewing is actually like a very underrated skill. And I don't think most business owners give it enough credit, right? And and really interviewing is a lifelong skill that can take you hundreds of hours to master. But but I'll give you a simple framework and I'm going to actually give you a few things. If you're driving or whatnot, you might, there might be some terms here that you're going to want to write down. Um, but, uh, basically interviewing is going to sell the prospect on your opportunity. Um, it's going to learn about the prospect. It's going to create a great first impression. And most importantly, it's going to give you the opportunity to sniff out fakers. So, um, there are eight or nine, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight skills that eight traits that you're hiring for, for. Okay. And so these skills are your Number one, your painting skills or your technical, right? Next is instrumental, attainment, leadership, precision, tenacity, introspection, and values, right? So what do those mean? So technical skill, painting skill, that one's probably pretty obvious, right? So we'll just skip over that one. Um, then we have instrumental. And instrumental skills are, are basic life skills. Make sure that they're literate. Make sure they know, you know, some pretty, you know, basic multiplication and addition. Like that stuff is pretty obvious. Um, you want to make sure they have a good head on their shoulders. That's called instrumental. The next is attainment. And the definition of attainment is that they have the need or preference to set realistic and immediate goals, right? If you have someone that has what we would call high attainment, that means that if you put them into a piece rate scenario where now they're setting goals for themselves or you're setting goals for them and they need to achieve goals on a you know tiered basis, 
they're going to be more likely to work harder to make personal sacrifices so that they can accomplish their goals and hopefully make you know make more money or whatever their their bonuses that's called attainment the next is leadership right pretty obvious but um basically do they perceive themselves as a leader and are they perceived as a leader right the best way to um interview on leadership is to really learn about their past leadership roles okay now the fifth one is precision right is this do, are they order orderly or do they have a systematic planning and work routine and personal activities right this one can be interviewed on by uh like that previous question that i asked what does your personal uh, time management system look like and how did you show up on time here today right if they're like oh i have a google calendar and like this is how i do this and i write everything in my notebook like great high precision that's wonderful if they're like honestly i woke up and like i realized i had 20 minutes to get here and i just like burned across town um that may be a little bit lower precision right so we want a high precision the next is tenacity right and this is you know are they tenacious do they complete tasks are they persistent until all loose ends are wrapped up okay that's tenacity then we have introspection right introspection and this is do they pay attention to their self and others in an analytical way? Do they know how they are being perceived to other people? Or are they kind of just blind to that? Right? That's really important. And then finally, and then probably the most important one, values. Do I trust this person? Are they accountable? Are they proud? Do they deliver what they promise? Right? If someone is not a values fit, but they like say have lower precision or lower tenacity, like that's probably okay. But if they're not a values fit and you know, even if they're a 10 out of 10 on every other uh, trait, but they don't, you know, match our values, then, you know, they might do something unethically, then, you know, not a fit. We don't want to move forward with them. So the outline for a uh, interview is going to be an introduction, a little bit of a rapport, uh, set the agenda, do a solid discovery where you interview for each trait and then uh, sell them on the opportunity. Okay, so I'm not going to go through... Um, everything for interviewing because literally i could take like hours and hours on it um i'll give you one question for each one of those uh traits and then we'll uh we'll kind of keep moving forward here so for fundamental and instrumental abilities um you can just ask something like hey can you give me an example of a stressful experience in your life right and just kind of dig into that how did it feel what steps do you take to handle it what was the end result what did you learn can you tell me more about that can you tell me more about that? Can you tell me more about that? Then testing for leadership. So can you give me an example of a time where you were responsible for people? How'd you get that position? Was it something that you wanted? What were your responsibilities? Can you get what was an example of a conflict that happened? Uh, testing for precision, right? How do you manage your finances? How do you plan out your days? How do you manage your health? Then testing for tenacity, both mental and physical, right? So tell me about a time that you had to mentally work the hardest. Tell me about a time you had to physically work the hardest, right? Sometimes I'll ask this question to someone, hey, what was the hardest work experience you've ever had? It's like, oh, this one time I was working at Walgreens and I had to put in a 10-hour day stocking shelves. It was terrible. I'm like, all right, well, that's probably not going to do, <laughs> right? Um, I remember being interviewed one time and someone asked me that question and the, I just I, I broke it down into this one, this one like side job that I took on where I charge a customer like 600 bucks and I had to take out their whole front concrete step. And I rented a jackhammer and never used a jackhammer before, I've loaded up my truck. It was like six loads of concrete to the dump and it had taken me like two, three weeks 
for like 600 bucks. It was terrible. Um, but I finished it. Right. And it was, you know, bad experience, you know, but good learning experience. Um, but it kind of just showed the tenacity that I had. Then we have uh, the test for introspection. So what do you think you're really good at and why? And would other people agree? Right. What's an area that you're not strong in? And do you think other people would agree? Uh, then testing for values, right? Give me an example of a time where it was difficult to show respect for someone. Or give me an example of a time that you got stuck on something and had to ask for help. All right. So once you've tested for all of those eight traits, and now you want to transition to your opportunity, you can now basically start the transition. Great. Now that we've gone through all that, I want to ask what motivates you and what are you looking for in a painting employment opportunity? Right. So you need to remember at this point in it, you're selling them on the opportunity. You need to remember their needs, their desires, and their goals from the qualification call and, uh, and now position the job around those specific needs. Um, I do have a bunch of resources, like an interviewing worksheet on stuff. So if you want that interviewing worksheet, um, I'll put a link to it in the uh, description below uh, this podcast. Cool. Um, then you're making the offer. Hey, I want to congratulate you. We'd like to offer you on the position. Um, compensation is this, and it will increase to this after this probation period. Um, and then if they say yes, uh, arrange another meeting to go over the paperwork. Right. Typically, you don't want to make an offer at the interview. You want to make it that evening or the next day uh, and do it over the phone, not over text. And then when it comes to paperwork, you really want to have a, an independent contractor or employment agreement. Right. You can get ChatGPT to write this out if you don't have one. You can get your lawyer to do it. There's a bunch of free ones online. And you also want to have an onboarding or expectations document. Um, this is really going to help make you feel like a professional company when you hand over an expectations document. And, um, you know, you should ha have it outline, you know, everything that you can think of, common expectations that you have of your staff, and then go over it with your new recruit and have them sign it. And uh, expectations can be like, don't use the homeowner's towels, show up at eight o'clock, put the tools here. Uh, you know, if you uh, like, don't smoke within 100 feet from the, from the uh, homeowner's house, like, you know, all these, you know, like things that should be simple, but you just, you know, it's not like, it's not like they can't be unsaid. They need to be said. So there is ex expectations that communicated. Um, but anyway, so again, I have a template for that. Um, if you want it, I'll have the link for it in the in the description of this podcast. Um, and then when you bring someone on, I always recommend using a scorecard. So a scorecard is basically uh, it's it's a it's a type of way to assess a role um, for any company, and, and it kind of like helps you tie their expectations and accountabilities together to their compensation. Right. And so it's, it's originally, I think from the EOS, the entrepreneurial's operating system framework, um, founded in a, like a book called traction, um, by Gina Wickman, really great book, really great operating system that I recommend checking out. If you are a motivated entrepreneur and want to scale quickly, um, we use it, uh, internally here at Painter Growth. Um, we have a team of 18 now, uh, so it's a lot of fun, but we, we definitely have to stay organized, but, um, the basically I have a, a painter scorecard that again, you can have with the link below, but, uh, how, what this has is, uh, quarterly bonuses for various things. So, um, do they provide ex excellent customer service? Do they provide unmatched painting quality? Do they use material efficiently? Do they complete job on time and under budget? Do they promote the company and help us grow? And then, uh, metrics and bonuses for each one of those. Uh, and then you should always have a trial period, right? For like the first two weeks of employment relationship, um, make sure that they see success to get along with their team. And you need to build in this two week or four week or whatever uh, training period or uh, 
just trial period to make sure that, you know, at the end of those two weeks, or the end of those four weeks, you guys can split and you have no responsibilities to them if they're not a fit. Okay. Um, on the first day, you want to meet them at the job site at a specified time. You make sure you're early and get there before they arrive. Demonstrate the timeliness you expect from them. And also demonstrate the behavior that you want to see. You want to walk them through the list of comments one by one and check them off as you go. So um, that was basically a pretty big you know, deep dive into our recruiting process. I kind of flipped through one of our recruiting presentations uh, that we have in our program and, and gave you guys kind of the high level notes of it. Um, and a few other things kind of as we went, but yeah, basically like recruiting is super important. You want to treat it like a sales process. Um, you want to be very systematic, meth methodical with, with, um, how you do things. And the more like resources that you can have to make you look professional, the more seriously your applicants are going to take it. So if you have your interview and worksheet printed out, if you have your uh, job expectations printed out, if you have, you know, some other marketing material that the, the painter can see uh, to see that you're a legit company. You're not just, you know, one person working out of the back of a, of a, you know, 20 year old van. <laughs> and even if that is you, even if you are just one person working out of the back of a 20 year old van, you want to, um, you want to pose or right? you want to be a poser. You want to, you want to, uh, you want to act like you're a big company. If you ever seen that movie, uh, Nightcrawler, um, uh, who's that? Uh, who's that guy in Nightcrawler? Um, it is, I'm just really bad at Google today. Uh, Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal in uh, Nightcrawler. He's like this really creepy dude. But anyway, at one point he like interviews this guy at uh, a restaurant, like a little diner or cafe or whatever. And he is very professional. He's very astute. He like has his papers all organized in front of him. He asks very like specific questions about the role and, and the kid who's uh, who's like applying, like takes it very seriously because because the main character, Jake, he's, he's taking it really seriously. So um, that's what you want to do, right? You don't want to show up late. You don't want to, you know, be disorganized. You don't want to be pulling out papers and have, you know, jumbled up papers. It says you're getting there. You want to you want to be together. You want to have your have your shit all together. But uh, I digress. I'm just kind of uh, rambling now. So um, I hope that was helpful for you guys. Um, like I said, if you can do anything for me, you know, please, if you get any value from this episode or any other episode, um, just please, please. And we don't have a ton of viewers on this. You know, we don't have a ton of people who watch this. So you, um, you're someone who watches and listens every single day. I would really appreciate if you could just go into Spotify or go into Apple, give us five stars and, uh, and, and write a little comment. That would mean so much. Thank you so much. I really hope uh, that you get value to this and I'm going to keep trying to do two to three episodes a week for you. Um, wonderful. Well, Hey, have a great, great week. It's Friday. Enjoy your week weekend. Um, go spend some time with your family, go sell some jobs, book some estimates, um, get ready for the holidays. Don't take your foot off the gas during the holidays, double down, kick some ass, reach out to me if you need help. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Painter Growth Podcast. If you want to grow your painting business, go to www.paintergrowth.com or click on the top link in the description. Talk soon.